0: i was following your podcast for some time now and i never really felt like i had anything just interesting to say about any of the songs but for egypt what was interesting is because when i was a really little kid i was really obsessed by egypt so that kind of whole story of a person being obsessed with kind of the romantic side of egypt was something that felt really close to me because of my connections to the love of Egypt and everything about it and that song sonically is truly one of her greatest i think vocal moments the second part of that song is truly i think one her best like one of her best vocal moments i love the screeching and everything it's so good
1: To Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about track five from Kate Bush's third album, Never Forever, called Egypt. talk about the song this week. Go ahead and introduce yourself.
0: Hi, my name is Uros. I'm a Kate Bush fan from Serbia. I'm 17 and a boy and I'm very ready to talk about Kate Bush because I have no one to talk about Kate Bush with here.
1: (laughs) So how did you come across her music then?
0: Well, it was a strange journey. I've heard of her name because I listened to uh, stuff like Florence in the Machine and uh, oh. she was mentioned in all the reviews and so I was at my friend's house one time and her mother actually played me Kate Bush for the first time and she played me Babushka huh. and she told me this story about how when she was little she would perm her hair and act if, like she was Kate Bush and dance around the house which I was really amazed by and then I I was not sure where to start with her because she had so many records up to that point. That was after 50 Words for Snow was released. So I watched the BBC documentary and I downloaded the whole story, that album of like her best hits. Um, And I listened to all of them. And then I just started listening to all the records from The Kick Inside to 50 Words for Snow.
1: Cool. And so what's your favorite Kate Bush album then?
0: I think that probably my favorite Kate Bush album is The Dreaming. Okay. Yeah.
1: That's my favorite as well.
0: I just think that record, really what's so special about it, it, the sound of that record is just so special. You really can't find it anywhere. I just think that it's remarkable and I don't think anyone has even come close to the feeling and the like sonic palette of that record. I just think it's amazing. And the story tag and the stories are so on point and I just love everything. There is nothing I would change about the record.
1: Now, what is your favorite Kate Bush song?
0: My favorite Kate Bush song? Well, that's a tougher one. I'm actually not really sure. I love so many different Kate Bush songs for so many different reasons. I think Mm -hmm. she has a song for every mood and every story and every feeling. So I'm not really sure what my, if I would have to pick just one song. I'm actually not really sure. I don't hmm. know. What's yours?
1: Um, Cloudbusting, actually. That's my actually my top favorite one.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's uh, basically one of her top songs. I think that that song really influenced what kind of uh, chamber pop sounds today. Mm-hmm. I think. For sure. Yeah. Really influential song, yeah.
1: So, when I put out the uh, the call for people to talk about songs from Never Forever, you had messaged me saying you wanted to talk about Egypt. So, what is it about Egypt? that you really really love that you went oh I need to talk about this song
0: uh, I was following your podcast for some time now and I never really felt like I had anything just interesting to say about any of the songs but for Egypt what was interesting is because when I was a really little kid I was really obsessed by Egypt so okay. that kind of whole story of a person being obsessed with kind of the romantic side of Egypt was something that felt really close to me because of my connections to the love of Egypt and everything about it. And that song sonically is truly one of her greatest, I think, vocal moments. The second part of that song is truly I think one her best, like one of her best vocal moments. I love the screeching and everything. It's so good. Mm-hmm. And cathartic. Yeah,
1: it is very, very much. Yeah, when I first listened to to Never Forever, I was in France, actually. I was traveling abroad to France, and I bought Never Forever and Lionheart while I was there. And this one is not an absolute favorite of album, but it did stand out to me because I liked how it sounds really cool, I think, on the surface. Like you were saying, it's, it, it romanticizes Egypt, for sure. But yeah. But then... As usual with Kate Bush, (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) going on under the surface that you just don't really notice maybe on first listen.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I uh, listened to your episode about Kashka and Baghdad, and I know I remember when you mentioned Egypt as a kind of continuation of her little bit of exoticizing and maybe appropriating different Eastern cultures, which I think is which I think with this song is especially weird because she kind of talks about appropriation while appropriating in a way. It's mm-hmm. really strange. And I think that, yeah, I'm not sure. I think that it's, of course, like with everything with Kate Bush, it's really, it's an interesting standpoint.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like in this song that she's kind of poking fun at the romantic way that egypt is seen like all the pyramids all pharaohs oh my gosh it's so exotic and then you get those screams at the end that's supposed to be like the conflict you know between the the illusion of egypt being this beautiful place and the reality of it the being very troubled even now in 2018 you know
0: (laughs) yeah it's pretty complicated but yeah i think This song, especially when you watch like the video from 1979 of her Christmas special Mm -hmm. where you, while the verses are playing, you have this really romantic image of her in a red dress kind of dancing in front of the pyramids and everything. And when the chorus kicks in, you have these videos of poverty and what Egypt is really like, because that culture is really... I think it's so mystic because it's so old, it's truly Mm
2: -hmm.
0: its some of the most special things we have in the world, like that whole, like the hieroglyphs and the pyramids and everything. And I think that people really easily romanticize that whole aspect, but not like the poverty and everything that is happening there in Egypt. It's actually really hard.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's, it is a common thing, like we were talking about and you know, you mentioned the Kashka from Baghdad episode that it's a common thing for Westerners to go, ooh, that's so exotic, ooh. Yeah. From
0: a, like, from a distant view, it seems so beautiful and mystical and magical because it's so foreign, especially for Westerners, because in mm. Western culture, you really don't have anything that ancient. Like, there aren't many things except for, like, South America, but that's not really connected to today's Western culture.
1: And especially for me being an American, I mean we're we're a pretty young country compared to the rest of the world. Yeah, you know, to be yeah. to be honest, I've always enjoyed reading more European history than American history because there's always a lot more going on. And even still yeah. there's there's not a whole lot of Europe other European like I don't really know much about Eastern European history other than, oh, the Iron Curtain or whatever we might have learned that would have affected America. And I'm always learning new things about abroad because there really aren't a lot of old, old things here in the U.S. to the extent that
0: you all have over there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think, yeah, in Europe and just in general, we have such a rich history. And I think that, people from America generally are really, even if the culture is not as lavish and big, I think that uh, it's so easy to fall in love with when you see these traditions that have been followed for thousands of years when really American history is how old? I don't like four, 500 years or am I, is that too Um, much?
1: No, actually, uh, America started getting settled in the late fifteen hundreds. Like, if you go into, say, Florida, for example, that was settled by the Spanish. St. Augustine is supposedly the oldest continually settled uh, place in North America, or at least in the United States, and that's in the fifteen hundreds. And where I'm from, in Virginia, we have Jamestown, and we were found. That was founded in sixteen oh seven and then you had the pilgrims coming in massachusetts in 1620 so it's really less than uh, it's less than 500 years that our country's been around and we we have old things but it's not like you, you go to rome or something and you're you're digging in the ground you're digging for something in your house and oh wait there's some tile from the roman times <laughs> you
0: know yeah yeah that's true so i think that's really the reason why Maybe even Kate was so drawn by especially Egypt, because I think Egypt is a culture that really differs from everything else. And it's so much of it. It's is still alive and well today. I mean, not alive, but well, like the pyramids are still there. You know, you well, there is that thing about I don't know if you know this story about that, like black pyramid, which is like the pyramids of Giza, and she's like, and that's like the fourth pyramid that's hidden, but anyway, that's a whole different story. Oh,
1: well, actually, I don't know about that. What is that?
0: Well, that's a weird... I've read about that somewhere. It's a weird conspiracy theory because in when they started uh, digging up everything in Egypt in the... I think it was like the end of the 19th century, I'm not sure... And there are sketches and everything of these black rocks. And there are some speculation that there is this big, big black pyramid that has been eaten basically by sand in Egypt. Yeah.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: I'm not really sure if that's like scientifically proven. uh, But I know about that story. And there are some like pictures of big black stones there. Yeah.
1: Now, what I think it's also really cool about the song is especially like the instruments that are used I think that the instruments they use on this song really help to evoke that uh, kind of otherworldly atmosphere if you will
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the I and Kate always especially in these first albums she really delivers with the instruments and when as we mentioned cash Came back. Baghdad that song really was the atmosphere of that song was really lifted up by the instruments. And I think it's the same for Egypt. And especially the climax at the end of the song is so amazing. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I think that it's really not one of the best songs from Never Forever but it's st- but I still think it really stands out just because of that last moment yeah
1: hmm and that with the uh, with the synthesizers going to the oh, it's so cool And also, apparently, on this song, there's, like Kashka, there's a strumento de porco. There's that string instrument from Kashka from Baghdad, and her brother Patty plays on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Patty really was a big influence on Kate and what instruments she used. I just wanted um, to mention one more thing that I think is interesting about Egypt and Never Forever in general, which cool. I kind of always thought about when listening to Never Forever. Um, because it really, the songs start, you know, the album kicks off, kicks off with Babushka, and then you kind of have Delius and Blow Away and All We Look For, which are more mellow songs from Kate, all three of those. I mean, Babushka is so big, it starts everything off, but then you have these... Three mellower kind of songs. I mean, they're not really mellow, you, you know, but mm-hmm. I think that it's really interesting how in the record you have Egypt, the wedding list and violin just all one after the other. I think that I can only imagine what a big blow it was to everyone who was listening to that when it first came out. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought, like, Babushka is this big single, it's huge, and it kicks everything off. And that makes sense. I mean, y- you need that to be like that. And then after Delius and Blow Away and All We Look For, I thought, well, maybe there will be a, a couple of more songs like Babushka, maybe, you know, as kind of big and explosive as that. And then you have, and everything kicks, kind of kicks off with Egypt after after that. And I think that's, I think that the checklist on Never Forever is really interesting because it, it's not based as like a classic pop or even rock album. It's really weirdly kind of based, And I think it works.
1: No, I agree with you. Every song on this album is a little bit different too. Like you don't have any one song that sounds exactly like the previous one.
0: Yeah. And it's, and at the same time, it's very, it's a very cohesive album. Mm-hmm. Nothing sounds the same, but it, but it's obvious that it all kind of came from the same instruments, the same studio, and the same mind of Kate Bush.
1: Because mm-hmm. every song I've noticed, the more I've been digging into these songs for these these episodes, that every song has a little bit of a world flavor to it, I think. Her brother, of course, was always playing interesting instruments on her albums, but every song has something in it that you wouldn't usually hear in more of a pop song like you you get the strumento the porco in here that's yeah you're not going to hear that on top 40 certainly not in america at this point yeah Um, (laughs) you get in um there's there's a japanese instrument in the the previous one all we ever look for i can't i'm looking through my notes and i can't find the name of it it's a Japanese instrument I know maybe it's a Koto or I, I, I... think it's
0: Koto I'm not sure either I th- but I, I think,
1: think it is Koto. Koto Yeah, and I think that that all and then of course on this like she really goes into like the world sounding stuff and she's got the the synthesizers at the end doing the whoa whoa that sounds like this air that does sound like it could be emanating from a marketplace somewhere in Egypt
0: yeah it really just the soundscape of the climax of the song truly sounds like this big sandstorm devouring a human being which
2: Ooh, who I was like
0: kind that. of it's because you're really just like listening to the song and it's basically a feeling of standing there and then being overwhelmed by this big wave of like sand it, it mm. truly to me it really feels like that and i think that that was kind of The feeling that she was going for, especially if we look at her interviews, you know, it's really rare that she says what her song's about. Mm -hmm. She kind of keeps that quiet, but knowing that she really wanted the screams and everything to be symbolic in the song, it really drives Mm -hmm. the point home. And I think it's really brilliant is Mm -hmm. everything that Kate does. (laughs)
1: And actually, I just had this thought that, like, Dan, you were mentioning, like, a sandstorm. I almost think of that as, like, your, kind of, your illusions of this place being this beautiful, perfect, fair kind of place being just, like, blown away, (laughs) in a way.
0: Basically, in everything, you know, you kind of, you're ready for it, you come there, and then everything falls apart as you see it in real life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really... Yeah, I I, sometimes when thinking about just what Kate does and her artistry, it's really sometimes I'm left kind of speechless because there is, you know, sometimes when you really listen to the songs there, especially after hearing because I remember really well hearing all the songs for the first time, Mm -hmm. um, how kind of speechless you are left after that, because I, I'm not sure really about when talking, especially about Kate and I always kind of feel really inferior talking about it in a weird way. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of putting Kate up to be like this amazing goddess, but yeah, I just think that sometimes I really don't, ha- I don't think I have anything really interesting or smart to say after she says basically everything in the songs. I think that maybe, and uh, not maybe, but you are much better at that. And I just think that, yeah, Kate in general, I just love her. And I really being a teenager and a boy who listens to Kate Bush in Serbia, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to make myself a special snowflake.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I hate, like, I hate that whole thing, but- Oh, me too. I, but really, here I know when I play my friends like a Kate Bush song, there, I, what is this? Mm. <laughs> Everyone is kind of confused. But I'm, I really hate. I think that with Kate especially, because she has this not. It's not just an aura. It's really true about her that she really makes interesting and thought-provoking music. And uh, another thing about the instrumental, I was listening to the version of the Tour of Life Mm -hmm. of Egypt, which is so much different than the Never Forever version.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It's so there isn't really the big climax at the end. And it's kind of more laid back. I think that uh, the album version of the song is really played up as like more mystical and kind of creepy but not really but still there is this like looming air of this atmosphere that's really heavy and I and the live version from the tour of life is really kind of laid back and there Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: forgot to write them down but I think there are some different lyrics even in that Mm -hmm. version about I remember like something Christian she was mentioning but I can't really I can't remember everything now but yeah that That version is also really good.
1: Kind of prefer that version because i do like that it's so snappy and upbeat it's like oh something you can kind of really bop your head along to but yeah, I, yeah. but i do like the the way that she changed it for the for the album that she did bring in more of the scary horror kind of aspect to it especially with her her screeching at the end, and I—I don't mean screechy. as an oh yeah, she's screeching out, but it really is yeah. screeching.
0: <laughs> yeah, she really lets go, and I—and I'm—I think we're all glad she did because with all that kind of vocal experimentation, that's what led her to all her other albums, especially *The Dreaming*.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see, hear in this song with the ending that she did put in with the album version where it's starting to go for for the dreaming, like with her like really pushing her voice up there and using her vo her voice even more for atmospherics and things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree.
1: And also I think with the tour of life version, because it's so upbeat and everything, I almost think of it kind of tongue in cheek, I guess, with the way that Yeah that she's kind of like, oh, yeah, because I'm all happy, Egypt, yay.
0: <laughs> it's really kind of campy and comedic because it's so snappy. It sounds like such a happy and jolly song, and it's about Egypt. And I think that everyone in the, in the crowd that really didn't have the context of what the uh, version of the album was, I think that everyone was kind of confused. I know I would be if I heard a really happy, jolly song about being in love with Egypt, I think it's it's really strange. It's, everything is with Kate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. in the best way possible, yes, of course.
1: Because mm-hmm. there's always something else going on under the surface. Very multi-layered.
0: Always. I think that's kind of... Absolutely every song of Kate's has that. And Egypt is really special in that way, I think.
1: Yeah, I also find it interesting, just kind of going back to the tour of life version, that she did this that she did this live and it hadn't even been recorded yet
0: yeah that's she i probably she wanted just to test it out live and i think that it's really i think that with that especially it's really interesting to kind of hear the differences because of where the idea starts and where she takes it in the album mix because i think that she really brought two really different energies to the same song. I think that I would really like to hear like one day if there was a kind of collection of all the demos where the songs first started. I think that would be so, so fascinating because she spent so much time in the studio perfecting them and tuning them and making absolutely everything from the instruments to the vocals to the lyrics perfect. So I think that it would be really interesting to see where all of her songs started. And we can kind of see that with Egypt. Mm -hmm. It basically started uh, like uh, just a happy kind of do up song with lyrics about Egypt, but it ended up being a really kind of creepy commentary on how Westerners and people in general really romanticize places and things they're actually not familiar with because we're kind of taught that we are, you know, you th- watch like two movies or something, and you think you know everything. Like people with New York, you people watch one episode of Sex in the City, and they think that <laughs> yeah, I want to go to New York. I'm gonna be Carrie Bradshaw. But it really isn't like that. It truly isn't as romantic. Nothing is as romantic as it seems in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And especially with a city, I mean you get your good you get your good areas, you got your bad areas and yeah.
0: Yeah, as as with everything, yeah. It's just I just think about the theme of it and I think it's uh, Kate always said that her like, songs are re- uh, aren't really autobiographical which we all know but mm-hmm. I think that she kind of always, especially with when I think about a song like Egypt it can really be interpreted in a romantic way as well because it's, it's basically a song about falling in love with something really blindly and not seeing what's under the surface
2: mm-hmm. and I think
0: that the Egypt is kind of the iconography that she used with Egypt and the pyramids and everything. But I think it can be really read in a lot of different ways. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually, Kate has said herself um, a couple of things, like what, kind of what we were talking about. Uh, she said in the Kate Bush newsletter, she, uh, she says that Egypt is, quote, an attempted audio animation of the romantic and realistic visions of a country so there you go and then in zigzag magazine she says the song is very much about someone who has not gone there thinking about egypt going oh egypt it's so romantic the pyramids then in the breaks there's meant to be the reality of egypt the conflict it's meant to be how blindly we see some things oh what a beautiful world you know when there's shit in sewers all around you
0: yeah yeah i think that that's really what i get from the what everyone really gets from the song but i think it's really interesting with the conversation of like appropriation and everything like i'm not egyptian so i don't think i'm well versed in speaking about that but i think there is kind of uh i don't know an underlying of that too
1: hmm and i think that With this kind of theme that things not really being what they seem and being blindly in love with a country that you could apply that to anything. It could be it could be the fact that, oh, when I talk to people about France and how much I love French culture, people get this idea of, oh, Paris, it's this beautiful city. And Paris is beautiful. It really is but
2: it's a city like
1: anything yeah I mean you know I mean it's a city like anything else
2: yeah yeah
1: and I saw poor people I saw I mean actually I saw a lot of poor people a lot of panhandlers or people romanticizing even the United States like they'll see in movies everything takes place in New York or LA oh New York it's this big beautiful place no it's a big crowded city I've been there (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah i think it's really easy to romanticize something that you don't know and that is so different from what you're kind of used to and what you were and i think especially with things like yeah new york and egypt and paris which are these really big cities that you have so many movies and books and songs about how romantic it is and there's this really big air about it and everything. Yeah. Uh,
2: let's
1: see. Oh, yeah. So she did the song on the tour of life, but then she did the a version for a Christmas special, which you kind of touched on. What do you think of the Christmas special performance of this song?
0: Um, I think I between the album version and the Christmas version. I like the album version more because if I remember correctly the Christmas version kind of the screams and the screeching at the end is really not as bold and as cutting in the mix especially. So I think that in that way the um, album version is superior. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that we talked about the video already, but the video is really if you didn't really understand, because I think if you If someone who didn't have any context just listened to the song, not knowing that Kate kind of has this tradition of rapping these complex subjects in a more of a simple way and that everything is not really what it seems. And if someone just listened to that song without knowing that, they would think, this is weird, this is just about someone being in love with Egypt. But I think that the video especially drives the point home about mm-hmm. what the song is truly about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I will say it's funny to watch it and I can tell, totally tell there was a blue or green screen behind her.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not the best production, but no. I think that for the time, for the time, it's really good. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just, I see that the silky, through the silky thing, whatever she's wearing, and i see the blue or green i go oh
2: oh man
0: <laughs> yeah it's pretty, it's pretty rough but yeah. you know
1: Yeah, there's definitely some uh, different lyrics. I forgot to. I was listening to it, so I was making breakfast this morning, listening to the the tour of life version, and trying to pick out what the different lyric, other lyrics were. Most of them, most of the lyrics were the same, though. It's not like violin where she completely changed a lot of things.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much all of it stayed the same. But I'm really, oh, I feel stupid for not remembering. But the because you know it's at the end of the song before. Yeah, but anyway, yeah.
1: <laughs> I know the the line about the pussy queen is still in there. You know, my pussy queens know all my secrets.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that really kind of is one of the main points that because I think that there is this kind of... I think that Kate Bush in general, she really brings a weird kind of queerness to her music and the Mm -hmm. art in general. Oh, sure. It's, It's sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not, but it's really, I think that it's, it's queerness. That's, that's mostly, um, generated on kind of the feminine power and femininity in general. And so she could have said anything else but the pussy queen, but she really, needed to say the Pussy Queen. I think that that kind of brings just another layer of kind of her queer history and also, again, mentioning Kashka from Baghdad and all the other songs that kind of really bring that atmosphere and air in her work. Yeah, I think that was really important for her.
1: Well, when I heard Pussy Queen, my first thought was I wonder if this is a if she's referencing the goddess Bast
0: yeah yeah that's that's pretty much it I when on the first time hearing it I knew it was Bast uh because as I said I know a little bit about Egypt Mm -hmm. I really I don't know I think that I was kind of the person that was really romanticizing Egypt but that was when I was really really little and as I've kind of grown, I've seen especially, I think that the situation was pretty bad at the time when she was writing the song. But mm-hmm. right now, I think that the situation in Egypt is much worse, I think. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's really hard out there, yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah, when I was younger as well, I read a lot about Egypt. Egypt, uh, We, when I was a kid, we learned about ancient Egypt and ancient Rome. And we spend a lot of time on ancient Egypt and ancient Rome. And I remember when I was a kid, I had a, a set of, um, a, st- a set of stationery, and it had along the top and bottom different hieroglyphs, and within this kit, they also gave you a little guide for how to write different hieroglyphs. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world because, oh, whoa, why don't we write with this kind of stuff? Ooh, this is so exotic. And so I really liked learning about Egypt as when I was a kid as well. We spent a lot of time on that when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, I have some of my old, like, notebooks from middle school where my name is written in Egypt hieroglyphics because my name is really easy to write in hieroglyphics because it's only four letters. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of, uh, it was kind of all over my notebooks. Yeah. (laughs) That's really great. I'm really, I'm just really thankful that there are things like this podcast that kind of Bring the because I think that the um, like deep, the people they're really going to Kate's deep stuff, it's kind of an elusive community in a way. It's not really a community, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really different people from I don't know. I, I'm just really glad that this podcast exists. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you. I, I try,
0: <laughs> and I think that it's really. It's really good. And I love what you're doing with this podcast. Yeah, I think I love listening to the episodes and learning more about the details of the songs and the kind of the things that maybe I haven't thought about or different views Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: perspectives on the same song. So yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, it was so great to talk to you. And I hope you have a great rest of the well, actually, it's evening over there right now. So I hope you have a great evening. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thank you you too i had a great time talking to you and i'm so thankful that you spent your morning talking to me about kate yes yeah. mm-hmm.
1: indeed awesome
0: okay okay thank you so much
1: no problem talk to you later If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or a few songs that you would like to discuss for future episodes, if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to, or if you just want to chat with another Kate fan, here's where you can contact me. You can like my Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Kate Bush Podcast. You can tweet at me at Strange Katecast. You can email me kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an e. Or go to my official website where you can contact me through there, kbcast.linkmedia.com. Again, that's Link with an neat. Join us next week for a discussion of the first song from the second side of Never Forever, and that is The Wedding List. We'll see everybody then.
0: I think that Kate kind of spearheaded the way for all female artists after Mm -hmm. her. I think that kind of before her, yeah, I think that before her, I would probably say it was Joni Mitchell that kind of spearheaded the way with singer-songwriter females.
1: Yeah, she's a little bit more like singer-songwriter, I think, than than Kate is, but she... What I do know of her after, actually, I read a biography of her a couple months ago, funny enough, Um, very interesting person, lots and lots of layers to her. She did do, I feel like she did do a lot for having a woman not necessarily singing about love all the time, for a woman to be taken a little bit more seriously and to try more experimentation. In her case, it was a lot with jazz, especially by this time. But um yeah, it's just it's interesting you mention her because I I read a biography about her a couple months ago.
0: Yeah, I just think of uh, Joni, and I think that she's kind of sh- Kate carries. They kind of carry the both. They both carry the same legacy in a way. I think that they really spearheaded the way for female singer songwriters because yes, Joni is a bit more of a classic like folk singer-songwriter sitting there with a the guitar and singing poetry than Kate is but Kate still writes all of her songs and I think that they really truly spearheaded the way for women that are just on their own because I think there were, there were women who were in bands and they were kind of respected because they were in a band with other males and they were, the males from the band would kind of propped them up in a way to the general public. But I think that the boldness of both Kate and Joni and other artists after that Mm -hmm. kind of really upped the ante for what women truly can do in music. I personally, uh, I've always been more drawn to female singer-songwriters. Always. Interesting. I was always more drawn to like... And especially that's kind of evident with Kate Bush about this dominance and this assertiveness that is not kind of at all connected to masculinity. Her assertiveness is kind of rooted in her femininity. She asserts herself by being a feminine woman and showing emotion. And and actually, I just thought of... When you asked me at the start, what was one of, what, what what were my favorite Kate Bush songs? I actually completely forgot that the Song of Solomon is actually oh. one of my abs- absolute favorite Kate Bush songs. I really, really, really love that song. That song brings chills every time I listen to it. I think that the bridge with Trio Bulgarica is really, it's really something else. Yeah. And her... And she even delves in that whole kind of theme of femininity and female and female sexuality because it's not a sexuality. I think that I think I just kind of find male point of views of songwriting kind of boring at times okay. because I think that it's from like a point of I don't know. It's I think. I'm not sure how to Well, this.
1: it's also something that's expressed a lot more, I think than the than female points of view, for sure
0: I think that Kate especially gave other female artists the freedom to write songs about what they wanted because she never really, I think that women, women were kind of pitted with well, if a woman writes a song it's going to be a sad love song and mm-hmm. that's the end and I think that Kate really opened up the doors for just giving women the freedom to just and not only women but people in general but I think especially women that you can write about anything you want it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be connected
3: to a man. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football